Hello, I'm Colin Lowe and welcome to the latest Suffolk Money podcast supported by Kingsfleet. One thing we focus on quite unashamedly in these recordings is the work within Suffolk of community groups and charities. And this week we look at one organisation, Brave Futures, which offers support to youngsters in Suffolk who've had the most awful start in life as victims of sexual abuse. So my colleague Leslie Dolphin has been finding out more about the complexity of the charity's work and the commitment and the dedication of its team. And here is their story. I've chosen to sit outside today. I've come to uh, a premises in Suffolk. I'm not going to tell you where it is. It's, it's, it's in Ipswich, I think I'm allowed to say that. But I'm with someone I've known for quite a few years now in, in various guises. I'm with uh, Patsy johnson Cisse, and uh, Patsy is the MD of what is now known as uh, Brave Futures. It was uh, formerly Fresh Start, New Beginnings. This is a, a really important charity, but, but one that's quite hard to talk about, isn't it? I like to challenge the taboo and kind of talk to everybody about something that they know goes on. They read stuff in the paper, they see things on TV. Um, the charity works with children that are victims, survivors of child sexual abuse. So it's not something that everybody wants to talk about. But it does go on and it's happening now. It's happening to one in 10 children. They're the government figures. And the only way we're going to help and support the children is by challenging the taboo and raising awareness and making people aware that, yes, a lot is happening behind closed doors in every street, every neighbourhood, every village, every town. And we need to get over feeling uncomfortable and start talking about it and start helping the children. Yeah, it's scary. Tell me how... I know you haven't been here all along. It's Diane Porter, wasn't it, who set the charity up. Can you take me back to how the charity came about? So, lovely Diana. Um, what a strong, brave woman. Brave. Um, so, Diana started the charity over 10 years ago. Um, she worked for a national charity and they were going to close the sort of project that she was working on at the time because it was too expensive. Um, so, D Diana said, well, what's going to happen to these children? Someone needs to support them. Um, I think she was given something like £6,000 redundancy money at the time. And she put that into the charity and talked to a few people she knew and got some funding. And from there, they've built the charity up. I joined about six, seven years ago um, and came on board as a fundraiser and then started to raise more awareness and do it that way. But if you go right back to the beginning, when Diana started the charity, there wasn't a service like we offer now. There wasn't something locally that would have been here for the children. It would have been closed down. So what a brave lady. And, and you work with Suffolk and Norfolk, I think, don't you? Yep, we work across both Suffolk and Norfolk. Um, 
three, four years after the charity began, Norfolk um, asked us to work with them. So we now have different hubs within Norfolk because it's a lot more rural. Um, and we work out of different hubs there and have different practitioners who work with the children there. And we get referrals from the police. We get referrals from teachers, safe garden, um, social services, children and young people centres um, and parents come to us and refer their children. So we are quite widespread. Um, if you go on the numbers just for Suffolk, so they say there's 120,000 children in Suffolk under the age of 18. So if you take one in 10, that means we've got 12,000 children in Suffolk who are currently being sexually abused. You, I think in um, Norfolk, that's about 16,000. So if you add those together, but the charity at the moment is only working with 330 children. We need more money to get more practitioners, but we are very careful about how we go out and promote that because we don't want lots of referrals that we that are waiting and children disclosed and we can't support them so it's a double-edged sword it, it, what, what happens with the youngsters who do come and we'll talk about the fact that there are probably i mean i watched the documentary about ralph harris the other day and and the thing is that a lot of children never disclose or until they're adult do they so i think there are real concerns that there are lots of people, lots of young people who, or, or people about them who never ever talk about it. Yeah, I, I mean, every child, every grown adult survivor is different and people handle it in different ways. Um, I think there's been studies out there to say how much the government is spending on supporting the adult survivors who have never come through. Um, for me, we want the service to be out there for every child who needs us, and, and it should be, and it should be a right that they get that support. But you think of um, mental health issues, people on the waiting lists and people who we can't get to support. A lot of people are survivors of child sexual abuse. So if, if we can start early, if we can get out there now and educate children with age-appropriate sexual education, um, which is a safe area, which is not a safe space, um, who to contact if, if you feel insecure or something, and who is that safe person you go to? If we can educate an early intervention, then that will prevent a lot of what's happening happening. Um, and then the early intervention, if we can get in there quickly and help them so the child can move forward. And, and the children, oh my God, the children that come here are so amazing. We just give them the tools. They're the ones with the resilience. They're the ones who go off and rebuild their futures. And we get lots of children come back to us and we get pictures of them. Um, you know, when they're um, leaving school, when they're in uni and what they're doing, we've got one... <laughs> the train going past. <laughs> yeah. So we also have... I was out and about a while ago and um, I didn't know this lady, but this lady worked with Diana and, and the team at the very, very early years. And she said, 
I just want to tell you, you worked, the charity worked with my son and she said we were really concerned. We didn't know where to go. It was really difficult for him to come forward because he's a boy and boys find it a lot harder to come forward. Um, she said he's now working on the stock exchange and wow. he's leading a team and he's in London and he's got a family and, and things like that. So you think hang on and and at times they didn't think this boy would be here again so it's huge and i uh, uh, do you do education and such like we're, we're sitting outside and i know you're going to get some people coming in through the through the side door as well so yes. they'll give us a bit of a strange yes. look as they come past uh, do carry carry on past us we're just we're just <laughs> chatting uh, and doing a podcast as we go along so do you go out and do education at the moment is that something you would like to fundraise because i know that it's not just uh, abuse and often within families isn't it situations and so on but there's also sort of there's the the Peer-to-peer, -peer. there's the trouble these days with modern phones and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, so um, at the moment we've got funding, um, half funding in Suffolk and half funding in Norfolk. So we're now trying to attract more funding, but we are going to have an education and outreach worker in Suffolk and one in Norfolk um, to go out and to do the early education, to do the early intervention, to actually actually talk and raise awareness to a lot more people so it's not a taboo subject um, and to catch those children early as quickly as possible that's the plan it's took a long time to get that funding but there is so much that we can do um, one of the other areas is the SEND children is children with special needs, children um, non-verbal. So if you mentioned Rolf Harris, then there's another big one that people think, look at Jimmy Savile, they look a bit weird looking and stuff like that. That tends to be what people think that the um, perpetrators, the abusers look like. Um, we need to get into all these different places and raise education and awareness because it's ordinary people who look like me and you, who look like the general guy who's catching a bus on the street. Or when I was younger, it was like stranger danger. Don't talk to anybody at the school gates. It's not 90% of the children that are abused is somebody they know. 90% who's had time to build up a relationship. You're listening to the Suffolk Money podcast with uh, me, Leslie Dolphin, uh, supported by Kingsfleet. And I've come out today to meet, uh, I say an old friend, an old colleague, someone I've known for a while, uh, very uh, involved in charity work, formerly with each uh, these days with Brave Futures, Pat Patsy Johnson Cisse. Uh, uh, just uh, you changed your name, didn't you, to Brave Futures quite recently? What was behind the change? Uh, well. <laughs> It was such a hard decision and we did do a lot of research. Um, two things really, there was two other charities started up with the name Fresh Start, one in Suffolk, one in Norfolk. Um, but also, 10 years ago, the thinking was that we could offer the children a Fresh Start New Beginning. Um, now it's, 
it's not a fresh start. It's thinking of what's best for the children. And I think the children need to be brave to actually disclose. The children need to be brave to come here. Um, and they need to be brave to face all of the work that we do together. Because again, it is hard and difficult to go through, but when you come out the other end, you have got a brave, brand new future there. So again, it just worked at the right time and it was our 10th year. Um, we asked the children what they thought. A lot of the children said, we don't care what you're called, you know. <laughs> we'll come here anyway because of what you do and what you do to support us. So there was a lot of discussion and a lot of talking to the team and past team members on where do we take this and knowing that people would have been quite associated and 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 felt that fresh start new beginnings was the charity name and if you you change it what's going to happen but i think brave futures actually gives us something good to go on with and for the plans for the charity growing in the future i think we can do different play around with the name for different plans that we've got coming up in the very near future. Mm, I know some of the things you can't tell me about. I shall try twist, <laughs> twisting up. Tell me a bit about you, though, first of all. So I met you at each. Were you in fundraising before then as well? Or charity work? Um, I was, but I can remember my first job when I left school. I was on the telephone exchange and you, I used to sort of answer the 100, 192, um, and used to do all charity events and raise money because there was like 60 of us. And it's like, oh, what are we going to do? So I was kind of the entertainment manager you know just giving myself that title or other people did and we'd just go out and I thought well we're going out and having a good time let's do some good with this um and so that grew and I was there something like 10 years then I went and worked for the East Anglian Daily Times on the sales floor and we used to go out and raise money and do stuff and then then the job come up with the lifeboats and someone said yeah Patsy you need to do something like that that's got you written all over it um Lots of people applied for the job who had degrees. I've got no higher education or anything like that. Got the job, learnt the trade, absolutely loved it. Organised the big events as well. And you love taking money off people <laughs> for a good cause, but also seeing them really enjoy themselves and doing some good. And, and it would always be a colleague would put forward a particular charity and then we'd work with that charity and support them raise awareness which is hugely important as well as raising the money so yeah so so was each a job you applied for specifically as a, as a fundraising post no i got invited headhunted <laughs> <laughs> they'd heard of you yeah. obviously but but before each what had happened i worked at st liz and I started off the midnight walk, so that was my baby. And I think the first year we had 2,300 walkers. I think I did, did it, it the first year. first year. year. Yeah. Brilliant. They've learned a lot. We've learned a lot since then, and it's changed a lot. But I think we used to... That first year we raised like £250,000, helped a lot of people. And, of course... I lost my mum to cancer and was helped by St Liz and that's why I think I left and changed because it was too close to home and heard about the Treehouse Appeal or was made aware about the Treehouse Appeal and thought great this is just the challenge I need and from there it, that was some brilliant times really really good um 
what a team, what an amazing group of people and still driving past now. It's like, you feel quite proud, don't you? Because yeah. you did yeah, the... I mean, we, and Suffolk did amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. All that money in, in less than a year. Yeah, 3.3 million. Yeah. That's just brilliant, brilliant. And um, the big summer declutter, that was like huge. That was a big car, car boot sale in a way, wasn't it? But yeah. it brought the whole of the town to, to a standstill. We had... Um, not complaints, but people did get in touch afterwards because I think you couldn't even... The cars were lined up to um, St Augustine's roundabout and all the way back into town. So it was just, like, crazy. But it raised the awareness of each so, so much over that whole year, which was people still think about it and they still give on the back of those sort of relationships built all those years ago so yeah amazing and then I actually went to a mayor event and Diana from Fresh Starts was speaking and while she was and I said to her afterwards I was so moved and I said look I work full time, but if I can help you in my spare time, if ever there's anything I can do to help your charity, then please do let me know. Um, and then she invited me to come and work here a couple of months later and took a few months and I took a huge pay cut. Um, took um, It was complete change because there was no fundraising, nothing set up at all. Um, but again, I can see you're rebuilding futures here where at the treehouse they've got a large team they've got a lot of people you're helping a child move on and helping the family in the most crucial time of their lives but here you're rebuilding a future and you're giving back a child a life so it was just I'd done the treehouse appeal and it was time to move on, but I don't think I'll move on from this until I retire, which is not too far away, but I do have plans to live abroad and do stuff over there. Did you ever, I mean, when you go back to, to working at the telephone exchange, would you ever have believed you'd be a managing director of a charity? No, not me. I'm I'm like a council estate girl. I had no higher education. And I always used to get told off for having a laugh and playing up. And I was the cheeky one that got everyone into trouble. However, this charity now, it could have been me. It could, child exploitation and the peer on peer. I was so gullible. I was innocent. I, sex education and we would talk about the stranger danger but half of what goes on now and people of my age group wouldn't believe what goes on now and I just think they're for the grace of God and and if we can help support children so they don't get into that position then I think that's huge um, I will tell you one thing while we're sitting here. So you see that shed there? <laughs> it's just an ordinary wooden shed, yeah? Just an ordinary wooden shed. But I can be remember being on BBC Radio Suffolk and working for each. And we needed a shed to put all our stuff in. And I went on the radio and we got it. We had someone phone up within like half an hour. Um, I can remember being on the breakfast show with somebody and he promoted it three days and then we got the shed yeah. and it just shows the power of um radio we got it in the end but just how much somewhere like a children's hospice is known 
and that's easier to comprehend in some way. Whereas the subject matter that we're talking about, people don't particularly want to get involved, even if it's donating a shed. So again, it's it's how we take that forward. And I think doing the podcast and the more we can raise awareness, the more we have afternoon teas like we had last week, the more people we can talk about this, then the easier it's going to be for children to come forward, for parents to support the children coming forward. And if a child says something, then you know a parent might actually listen or an adult might listen and be able to take that forward and and not be frightened of what that child is saying and to believe the child as well. Because if a child tells you once and that person dismisses that or doesn't listen, then we're feeding right into the perpetrator's hands because they're not going to tell again. They, they're going to believe, the perpetrator will say, no one will believe you, it's our secret. So again, if we don't believe and we don't listen and we don't act, then that child's going to sit on that for, I think they say 27 years before they'll tell somebody again and look at the damage that's happening with that child within those 27 years. During the last uh, few years, one person who did come forward and who must have helped you as a charity hugely was was the footballer Kieran Dyer. Yeah, and and I think the fact that he came forward with being such a um, high-profile figure and being a boy, a man as well, um, I think that's huge. And we did after that, we got an influx of, of young boys disclosing because boys don't normally disclose so hats off to Kieran for doing that he's still an ambassador ambassador of ours um huge very very valuable you, you mentioned your afternoon teas and I know this is something you have in Suffolk and in Norfolk and you've just had one of the annual events here as well do they I, I know that people tell their stories which can be quite harrowing to listen to but at the same time they make people understand the work that you're doing is really important. I think they have a, a, a really good effect for you. It does help people invest and, and so on with you. Definitely. And and we have people come to the afternoon tea. So they might be survivors or survivors of or, or family members of survivors. Um it it's other organisations within the area that we work quite closely with, um, who refer into us, who refer out. Um, the police come along and they learn lessons and we work with them closely as well. We have funders who come along and, and when you're you're being funded by someone, you write the reports and tell them what you're using the money for, but you can't put on paper what the adult survivors talk about. Um, we did have one person who said to us, it would be lovely to have Suffolk survivors talk at the afternoon teas or Norfolk at the Norfolk afternoon teas we can't have that we can't have our children because again it would point out who those survivors are you don't want to identify them do you which is why I haven't said where where your your headquarters are absolutely um again you don't want people we've had people knock at the door before and it's like hang on who are you what are you doing here because we know if there's deliveries coming we know what's going on and and our children they should feel free and safe to come and 
and and meet and have sessions with our practitioners and and what whatever we can do to support the children we will do that and they should feel safe and that's what it's all about how how do you how did you feel after you, after your afternoon tea and after you hear some of those stories and after you see people because we've seen a couple of youngsters come in supported by family or, or mem members with them and so they're all coming in and hopefully going away feeling better for for, for disclosing and for, for the work that you do with them um, for me i the team that put together the afternoon tea the speakers everything like that was amazing and the feedback from people who attended the afternoon tea has been very positive um again they come for afternoon tea we kind of do do a trigger warning and tell them they might hear things but I don't apologize for what they might hear because our children are going through an awful lot more um the children come in here to see the children come in here we know they've been brave because they've disclosed that that they have actually taken that first step um i have a office just around the corner and i see the children come in and i see them go out and we offer about 20 or more sessions to a child um as many sessions as they might need but I see them come in and they won't meet you in the eye or they've got a hoodie up, their shoulders are down. Um, and I see them as they go through the sessions and how much they change. Um, you met one of our ladies early, earlier, one of the practitioners. I was sitting in my office the other day and I heard a young girl crying and she was going to her dad, I can't go in, I can't go in, I really can't go in. Um, and Cindy was sitting with her and they were sitting out here on the benches like we are, having a chat. And they had their first session out here because she couldn't go through the door because it, it, was, it was triggered. It was a new building. It was somewhere different. She didn't know what. And as much as we try and prepare the children for that, they have to feel safe. They have to know where they're going. Eventually, she did come in for the next session and they move forward and each session they move a little bit more forward than they have done and it's going to take time when you think a groomer has been in their heads for maybe you know a lot of years and not only that i mean sometimes it's family members it's close friends of the family so if they disclose they they're upsetting a lot of people as well and they, they must be really aware of, of you know it's in some ways it almost feels easier to keep quiet and not upset everybody absolutely and and a lot of the so you've got the child sexual abuse and you've got the child exploitation so with the child sexual abuse that groomer well both of them really the groomer would have said if you tell somebody you're going to split the family and we won't be able to live in this house anymore or, or so many things they will say to the child and all that responsibility is on that child there's so much their whole house they might have to move house a lot of things that they're used to they might have to change schools and the groomer would have put that all on that child all that responsibility on you know five six seven thirteen fourteen year old child that's a lot on top of everything that they're feeling that's experiencing every single day of their lives so it's not just the physical it's the mental as well
So in our podcast today, it's Suffolk Money Podcast, supported by Kingsfleet. Today with me, Leslie Dolphin, hearing about the amazing work of the charity Brave Futures, first originally known as Fresh Start New Beginnings, changed its name a little bit earlier the year. Uh, I'm with the managing director, uh, Patsy. Uh, Patsy's been telling us about the phenomenal work that they do. Just before we go back to, to summarise the work and, and how people can help you, you mentioned retirement. You're not old enough, Patsy. Hey, I am. 60 in October, but having a sort of plan in place for the charity when I do leave in two or three years' time. And you don't just leave, by Because you, 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 you married abroad, didn't you? Just tell yes. us a little bit. It's, it's very glamorous, this. <laughs> no, I, I went on holiday to a place called Cape Verde. It was new then, about 16 years ago. Not many people had been there. A friend had kind of... We said, where should we go? And I just picked a... Put a finger on a map, and that's where I went, or we went. And when I was there I met a tall dark handsome stranger and we kind of clicked and don't know what took over me I married him and our plan is to go and live in West Africa in two or three years time so we're gonna start another charity over there and the charity will be I have some fun as well I'm not but I, I I've got that need where I still want to do something um and we're going to live on a beach build a retreat and take 12 children out of the orphanage every single year teach them hospitality and a trade about money and whatever we can to help them and then take another tw- find them jobs positions and then take another 12 out the next year but I plan to come back to the UK like three months every year when it's mozzie season over there. <laughs> so that's the plan. We've got to register a charity and that's what we're going to do. I've got some friends who said we'll help you out, we'll be trustees, we'll help raise money and things like that. But So they're just sort of baby steps happening at the moment, but there's so much more to be done here and we need to move and we're being asked to leave where we are at the moment. I think they this want charity, to, yeah, yeah. I think they want to build houses over because there. there's a lovely space. I see you've got a, a slide in the, uh, on the heap there. So it's, I mean, it's like a, a wildflower meadow, isn't it? It is. And I sit in the office and I see all sorts of animals come out and stuff like that. But I've been told I'm not allowed to feed anyone or do anything, and um, because you'll attract more. But it is lovely the wildlife and just sitting out here and having that space in between sessions so still work to do here with brave futures moving premises and so i know you are amazing you really are because you you make it all look so easy i know dragon boats is one of you mentioned the midnight walk but dragon boat racing is one of the things you've taken with you and and you're going to be doing some fundraising with that here yeah we've got our i think it's third or fourth dragon boat race it's actually at ipswich waterfront and i feel really chuffed because a, they've let us do a dragon boat at the waterfront and I don't think they let many other people do that so to get that um, we've got 31 teams on the 3rd of June it's such a good event to watch so please come along and, and 
join in, have a go on our tombola, find out more about the charity. I'll be there all day. My colleagues will be there all day. But there's so many corporates, so many businesses, so many local groups who are getting involved. I think once you see it once, you really do want to take part again. You took part before, didn't you? Yeah, you wrote me into one many years ago. I I, I managed to just do the drumming bit, which is, although you're quite high up on the boat, I did feel I might fall in at some point or other as well. So, so, so for people listening to this, I mean, the difficult thing about Brave Futures is, is to make people aware of just how important it is, how many people it affects, because it is such a, such a thing that people don't talk about. When, um, bit like the Dragon Boat, bit like the afternoon tea, when I go out and I talk to people, um, I will have people come up and say it happened to me and I haven't told anybody. I, I will quickly tell you I was at the East Anglian Game and Country Fair and we were standing on, we had our big sort of gazebo and it had child sexual abuse and I would watch people put their head down and walk away because they didn't want to come over and have a go on the tombola or anything. This man of about 83 came over. He did tell me he was 83. Yeah, he came over and he started to reel off some £10, £20 notes out of his um, wallet. He put them in the bucket and I thought, oh. And then I said, thank you and, and said, you know, not many people support us. And he go, it happened to me. Um, and he started to cry and I asked one of the volunteers they went and got us a cuppa from one of the vans we took two of the chairs and we went round the back of the gazebo and he went you're the first person I've told Mm -hmm. and he was 83 years old and I'm not saying this happens to everyone everyone's case is different but he said It happened to him and it happened to one of his school friends. It was a private school. It was the maths master. Um, His friend went on and committed suicide because he couldn't handle it. He had, um, he went, obviously got older. He met a lady. They got close, but he finished it because he didn't feel he could marry her because he didn't know what he'd be like in the future. And he'd got nieces and nephews and family members, but he decided he'd never get married and take that forward. So he was existing, um, which is quite painful and, and hard to hear. But he thanked me for listening to him and said he'd never told anyone before, but he felt that he could now. So it's given the people the opportunity to talk. And then going back to the afternoon tea, Holly and Scarlett, who's survivors from the Telford grooming scandal, they said, we wish there'd have been a Brave Futures about when we were younger, we would have known where to go, we would have known where to get support. Um, every time I'm at an event, more people will come forward and talk about what happened to them. And, and people are now starting to talk about it a little bit. If it really is one in ten, then it means we all know somebody who's never told us, don't we? I, I, just very quickly, I did a, a programme called Problem Line, which is a late, late night show on the radio for the Eastern Counties. And we had a, a man ring up and his son was about seven or eight. And he, he cried because when he was seven or eight, his granddad abused him. And I can still remember him saying, why did he do it to me? Why did he do it to me? And he was really scared, you know, for his son at that point as well. So, so it, it is something that if you can disclose that maybe it can help you in the long run. 
definitely. And and we find a bit like your example, mums who then who go and have a child for the first time or grandchildren and, and they where they've lived through it, that protection of protection the the other family members kinda come to the forefront then. But the more we can talk about it, the more we can raise awareness, early intervention getting out there to give the children the tools to say hang on this is wrong it is when children hit 13 and 14 and they get that sex education and the young teenage girls think this isn't right to be having sex with dad my my friends are not having sex with their dad and and then we get a lot of referrals and a lot of disclosures at that age but that's from there if they are educated earlier and they know what is a safe touch and what isn't and if they don't feel right then talk to somebody the more early intervention education and then having the the team able to work enough team members and the funding to go out and work with those children something we it's something as a society we should pay attention to and do something about it. and people can help you as you say with at least with funding if nothing else so they can look you up uh, find out more about you brave futures come to your events do fundraising events for you if someone is listening to this and wants to disclose as well what what's the best thing they can do depends if they're an adult or a child and um, there's lots of information um on our website there's the numbers the child line that you should call if it's historic you should report it if you feel you can because each perpetrator will have up to 90 victims in their lifetime and that's 90 children that will be affected that's 90 families that will be devastated and be living with the fallout the consequences of what has happened so if you can and you feel able to report it please do um, get in contact with somebody you've got the adult survivors in transition which is in Suffolk you've got Sue Lambert in Norfolk you've got the 101 you've got social services you've got Childline so all of those people you can go to Patsy you're doing amazing work and, and I, I just I mean I, you need people like you to get out there and to tell it as it is so, so well done anyway and thank you for talking to us today and um, can I just say thank you because you're helping us get that message out there because it's not an easy topic so the more people we can speak speak to and you're the more people that listen to the podcast is going to be great thank you Well, that's not an easy topic to talk about without any doubt. But it's so important, as Patsy said, that we do. And if you need to find out more or you need help, if this is something that's affected you, then do go to the Brave Futures website. And that can be found very simply at www.bravefutures.org. Brave Futures is all one word, so that's www. .bravefutures.org and there are plenty of contact numbers and sources of information on there. So my thanks to Patsy and Leslie for bringing us that information and telling us that story of Brave Futures and as ever to the team who helped produce these podcasts. That's Sally and Kevin Birch and Joy Day and my thanks to you for listening. 
So if you could, with the podcast provider of your choice, like and follow this podcast, then you'll always have the most up-to-date downloaded onto your uh, equipment, onto your phone or or your laptop. Um, And also, if you could just give us a five-star rating, then it will help other people to find this and it will focus their attention on the locality of Suffolk. So uh, please do that if you would, and uh, that will be really, really greatly appreciated. So until next time, from me, Colin Lowe, goodbye. <laughs>